I speak to you in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I have uh, such clear memories of this story from childhood and such fondness for it. Maybe it's the length, that it's short and distinctive. There are clear characters. It's easy to illustrate, is what I'm saying, for children's Bibles and Sunday school coloring sheets. I can see them now. <laughs> Mary is always sitting lovingly, sometimes dreamily at Jesus' feet, and Martha is in some kind of a kitchen doorway, glaring, usually with a broomstick in her hand, in case you didn't get the message. <laughs> but even in middle school and high school, I had this nagging feeling that this familiar story was dismissive of women, dismissive of the traditional roles and work women were expected to do. Even the best sermons on this passage, the most egalitarian readings of the text, ended up saying something along the lines of, housework is good too, actually. <laughs> it's best to be a disciple at Jesus' feet, it's best, but serving the other disciples is good too. Someone has to make lunch. The issue is, it seems, an attitude adjustment for Martha, more or less. Even though I feel so much warmth towards this simple version of the story, it wasn't doing it for me this week. Those old children's Bible illustrations and Sunday school memories often help my imagination take flight. But this week, those old pictures of Mary and Martha, they, they fell flat. So I did something that I almost never do, and I got into the original Greek. I'm sorry, this is one of those sermons. I did it. I got into the original Greek, and with the interlinear text available online, a plug for BibleHub.com, and the help of scholar Mary Stormer Hansen, I saw things in this passage I had never seen before. And the first realization comes right away. First verse, our gospel says, Martha received Jesus into her home. Nope. Into her home is a later edition. It's in parentheses. All the oldest versions of this text just say that she received him. The ambiguity is helpful. All at once, it's that much harder to read Martha right into the kitchen. Second, it says Martha is distracted by her many tasks. The word tasks is diakonion. Its most basic meaning is service, but it's richer than that. It's the root of our word deacon, that role of pastoral service to the community. Every other place this word is used in the New Testament, it's translated as ministry. Ministry. Martha is distracted by her many ministries. She received Jesus. It could mean into her home. It could mean that she has received his message. We hear that in other places. To have received Jesus is to have heard the word of the gospel. It could mean that she received him on behalf of a larger community, a community where she was engaged with ministry, any of the work of a devout Jew in the first century. It could mean she received him on behalf of a community of Jews who were banding together, talking about religion and politics, a community of people who were engaging with Jesus and following him on the way. And following Jesus on the way is what Mary is doing. In my children's Bible and most sermons, all this action is contemporaneous. Jesus arrives, Martha welcomes him into her house, and Mary plops down at his feet. 
But in the original text, all that specificity disappears. From the verb tenses, we understand that Martha is complaining about a recurring problem. For some time, possibly a long time, she has been left to do the work of their ministry alone. And from the way she inquires of Jesus, it sounds like he knows where her sister is, and she does not. Mary has been off following Jesus. This chapter begins with the commissioning of the 70. Could Mary have been among them, traveling with them? All of a sudden, it seems Martha is not nagging Jesus to intervene in a family squabble about housework. It's as if she's saying, Rabbi, please, it's been too long. Please tell my sister to come home because I need her to help me. Going back to the original Greek raises the stakes. Martha is engaged in the work of ministry with much to accomplish and people counting on her. Meanwhile, her sister Mary has been following Jesus and learning from him. Now that Martha has a chance to talk to Jesus for herself, she asks him to, to affirm the importance of her work, her ministry, and encourage her sister Mary to come home. You may be thinking, that's all well and good, even if you buy my interpretation. So what? Jesus still tells Martha that she is wrong and Mary is right. So even if it's community ministry and not merely cooking, not that there's anything wrong with merely cooking, who cares? Jesus' words can help us here, though, as he says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. Distracted. I think we all know that feeling. Luke says at first that Martha was distracted by her many ministries. Luke says Martha is perizapato. She's drawn away. But Jesus says, Thoribes, troubled. Again, a strange experience. Every other place in scripture where this word is used, it's much more dramatic. People are greatly disturbed, disordered, panicked, in an uproar. It's the word in Matthew and Mark for when Jesus raises a little girl from the dead in front of a frantic and heartbroken crowd. That's what he's saying. Frantic, heartbroken, disordered. Jesus sees in Martha what I see in so many of us in our community here at St. James, that Martha's busyness is doing real harm to her. Jesus recognizes that Martha is worried, or as he says, marimnas, anxious. The root of this word is marimna, or part. Jesus is saying that he sees Martha is being pulled apart. Jesus isn't chiding Martha for complaining or insinuating that she's somehow just jealous of her sister. He sees that Martha is feeling pulled in a million directions, troubled and anxious. Jesus sees that Martha is not in a place that is spiritually nourishing, and she's not working in a way that's sustainable. But still, that leaves us with that nagging better part that Jesus prefers one kind of discipleship over another, that Jesus prefers our faith to our works. Or does he? Because Jesus says, Martha, you are troubled about many things. One thing, however, is necessary. For herself, Mary has chosen Agatha. Mary has chosen the good. Not necessarily better. Not necessarily best. Agatha means good. 
And in fact, just like the other instances we've looked at, every other place in the Gospels where this word is used, it means good. It's used to describe the soil and the parable of the sower, the soil where the plants can finally take root and grow. We're all across Paul's letters to the Thessalonians and Timothy and Titus and so on when he sends his well wishes, commends the people on their faith and discipleship. Agatha means good. For herself, Mary has chosen a good part, which will not be taken away from her. Grateful for your patience in parsing translation, because for me, this blew the whole story wide open. Martha is torn apart while Mary chooses a good part. A sisterly squabble over chores becomes two women making vocational choices. And Jesus is hopefully opening Martha's eyes to a moment of true discernment. She is trying to do too many things. In a phrase, she is heading for burnout. And the answer for Martha is the same as it is for any of us. When we're overwhelmed, help is good. But clarity, a sense of what we're doing and why we're doing it, is better. Martha, you are torn apart by so many things, and you need only one, Jesus says. This gospel about busyness somehow only turns up in our lectionary in the summertime, which is perhaps a helpful piece of irony. If you were or are feeling worn down, overwhelmed, pulled in a different direction, I hope the summer is giving you a chance to rest, a chance to give yourself a little more time and space, a chance to disrupt the normal flow of your days and your schedule. But I think for any of us who feel chronically busy, you need more than a little vacation or a chance to go to the beach. You need to reorder things. You need your life to take on greater balance. A few months ago, a Presbyterian pastor named Todd Bolsinger came to St. James to meet with the clergy and some other priests from around the country to talk about leadership. And one thing that he said really stuck with me. He said he was paraphrasing the wisdom of some wise monk, some brother so-and-so, I can't remember who. But when he said, the antidote to exhaustion is not necessarily rest. The antidote to exhaustion is not necessarily rest. The antidote to exhaustion is wholeheartedness. Wholeheartedness. The antidote to exhaustion is wholeheartedness. So much of the unpleasantness of being busy so much of what makes life in 2022 challenging, what can make the city's work culture challenging, what can make the onslaught of our news cycle so challenging, so much of what makes life hard is our aching to be whole. In feeling the pressure to accomplish and complete so much, we're not able to actually rest in what is important to us. We're not able to give our whole heart to anything. Look at Martha. Don't you care, she asked Jesus, don't you care that I'm working so hard alone? Her exhaustion and stress has her doubting God's love for her. Martha asked Jesus to get Mary back there to help her without a thought for her sister or what her sister wants or what is feeding her sister's heart. In Martha's words, I hear someone who is so busy and so anxious that she cannot give or receive love. 
but I admit now we're getting beyond my expertise. I could parse Greek and read commentaries, but I am definitely guilty of busyness, of being half-hearted, of being pulled in a million directions. So I can't say I found the secret to a life that isn't like that. But Jesus tells us where to start. You need to choose one thing, one direction, just one thing that is good. So to put ourselves back together, to start journeying towards wholeheartedness, we have to start with him. We have to start with Jesus. And how do you do that? With prayer. One of my favorite things to do that has changed my life is praying for people in transit, on the bus, on the train. You're there for at least a couple minutes and so are they. You don't have to know them. You just have to look at them and pray for them, for their well-being, for their day. It changes you. It changes your heart. Sometimes I pray while I wash the dishes or I walk to work. If you don't know where to start, start with the Lord's Prayer. Start with the hymn from this morning that you can't get out of your head. It's harder to find a better place to start than King of Glory, King of Peace. Spend some time today praying. What is the cream of your heart? Start with what makes you think of Jesus and what opens up your heart. We have a group of people, I see several of them in the pews today, who get together twice a day, every weekday, to pray the daily office. You don't know where to start. Start there, log on to Zoom, just a few minutes of your time and pray together. Our parish summer reading is a book called The Monastic Heart, 50 Simple Practices for a Contemplative and Fulfilling Life. And I'm gonna tell you something so you can hold me to it and vice versa, I haven't bought it yet, I haven't read it. <laughs> but we are gonna do that today. We are gonna buy and read The Monastic Heart. If you need 50 simple practices for a contemplative and fulfilling life, that's a great place to start. We're going to read that together and try that together. So many of us, when we think about it, what consumes our mind and our days, it's not what we care about most. When we do stewardship every year, someone says, usually Brenda or Mary, look at your checkbook. Look at your purchases. Do you see what you value? We can think a similar way about our time. In your time, think about what you've done this week, do you see what you value? I apparently really value my cell phone. That's not how I really want to live. In an effort to please people or accomplish what we ought to accomplish, our inner lives become fragmented and incoherent. Worry keeps us from being fully engaged and fully alive. Work, even the most valuable ministry, has us rushing around in the midst of people we so long to host. And before we know it, we have lost the ability to attend, to linger, to dive, and the summer's half gone. Jesus is not criticizing Martha. He's not rebuking her. He's inviting her to stop, to pick one thing, just one, and have it be good. Jesus knows we ache to be whole. He knows that the expectations we place on ourselves can be the most brutal and devastating of all. There is need of only one thing. And if we choose it, no one will ever have the power to take it away from us. Because the quickest way to disrupt all that hangs on us, the quickest way to take on his yoke, his easy burden, his lightness, is to sit at Jesus' feet. And like the seed scattered on the good soil, 
to rest there and root there and grow deep. Amen. <laughs>